All right. Well, it's wonderful to be back here and be with you. You guys have been uh, faithful supporters for um, since before we actually went to China. And so, uh, yeah, always good to be good to be um, good to be at this church and just uh, uh, do thank you for your faithful support. I'll say more about all that in the um, in the morning service. What I'm planning to do this morning is um, in Sunday school is just I, I'm doing the um, one of the things I'm doing while we're back here is um, doing the MABC, the same thing that Ronaldo did um, at uh, Masters Masters University, and so I'm working through that. Just got done with a class on conflict resolution, or you could say conflict restoration, and there were just some certain themes and stuff in that class that are just fresh on my mind, and I'd just like to share those with you. So we were, let me just give you a little bit of background, there's probably some that don't know us, but we we moved over to China in 2006, January of 2006, and, and so we moved over there. I was a classmate with John Cheek, and so that's how we got associated with this church, and you guys have um, just faithfully supported us for um, many, many years, and we were there for about 15 years, and then COVID brought us back. Obviously, a lot of changes in China, a lot of things happening at this point, and, and so we tried for about a year and a half to go back. We kept our apartment for almost two years over there, and it was very difficult. Um, I would really say impossible to get back at that time. That is slowly changing, and things it's, it is opening up, and I'm looking to... Um, um, I'm re- renewing my passport at, in, presently and then looking to apply for a visa and then hoping to go over for the first time it just be me go over for several weeks in August, September time frame. Still have a translation office over there and so we keep up with Zoom with that office. We keep up with Zoom. Tomorrow morning I'll be Zooming some some pastors who I Zoom every Monday morning, pastors, leaders, a group of men. And then um, tomorrow night I'll be um, Zooming with my staff there at the office. And, um, and then I do that again on Thursday nights and we read a book together, study together. And um, Friday we'll be Zooming, Charity and I will be Zooming some parents from the house church that we were involved in. So we keep up that way with, uh, with, with China. Um, and then, of course, all the translation work and things keep up. So that's kind of, that's part of it. And then the other part is I'm working on this MABC. And we're centered up in upstate New York. That's where both Charity and I are from. And we're, um, and we're staying with my mom, who's turning 90 this year. Not necessarily because she needs us to stay with her, although um, Charity serves her in many ways. Um, but that's where we're staying presently. So that's kind of an update um, where we're at for, for those that might not know that. Um, so today what I want to do is just talk a little bit about, as I said, some of the things I've learned from that class that I took. It was actually um, my final exam 
where I had to prepare certain things for that final exam. And, and so that's some of those things I'm just going to share with you this morning. Um, and I will just say this. I took my exam uh, a week ago Monday, two weeks ago Monday, something like that. And then that Wednesday, um, I met with a, a missionary who really I'd been in conflict with for about 10 years. Um, and so there was, you know, I really felt like I'm taking my final on Monday and that was, that was done, but I really felt like, no, this is, and it, ne it wasn't necessarily because of the class. I decided the next time I was with him in the same city that I would meet with him. And, and so that all went really well, praise the Lord. And I may get into, talk a little bit more about that, but but what was so beneficial is just thinking through certain aspects that I had learned in the class. And so I just want to share those, share those with you. And, and I'm hoping this will be interactive. I'm going to have you guys read some verses and things like that. And, um, and I'd almost come down and walk around, but probably won't do that. Um, but yeah, so you can kind of get your Bible ready if it's not. And... Um, and I need to find my notes here for, as opposed to the sermon. Yeah. Right. And so the first thing to think through is, is the idea of guilt, right? And, um, and I say the idea of guilt because... Um, one of the questions that we looked at in the class was, is guilt a fact or is guilt a feeling? All right, so, so just think about that. Is guilt a fact or is guilt a feeling? <laughs> and I know you're thinking, well, it's both. And there's a sense in which it is both. Um, obviously, we can... Um, feel guilty, but, but I think that expression sometimes is not the best expression, right? I feel guilty. Well, the, well, you do nothing about it, and the next day you don't feel guilty. Does that mean you're not guilty, right? And, and so that whole idea of, of and right, I, I, I don't think ever in my life, I could be wrong, but I don't think ever in my life I've said, I am guilty, Right? I say, I feel guilty. I feel guilty about that. Right? Instead of saying, I am guilty about that. Now, I'm not saying you have to change that nomenclature, but the idea that guilt is not a feeling, guilt is a fact. Guilt is not a feeling, guilt is a fact. The, the definition they gave us for guilt is guilt is a legal liability or culpability to punishment. And I'm not so sure that definition is helpful at all, but I had to memorize that for the, um, the final. But the idea that, that we are right, we are guilty before God. God declares us innocent or guilty, no matter how we feel about things, right? And sometimes I think when we say we feel guilty, the idea is, you know, I don't think I really am guilty, but I, I do kind of feel guilty. We do something, and it's like, I feel guilty about that. And then, you know, we have, a, have the next day, we, we, we're over it. And the question is, should we be over that? Because if we felt guilty, we need to take that, take that 
very seriously. And so some passages there to look up, and, and you guys could read those for me. So would somebody read Psalm 19, 12 and 13? Good old Psalm 19 has so many things in it, but we're going to actually go there. All right. So what are some ideas in there that show us that guilt isn't so much a feeling, but guilt is a fact? What are some key words there in verse 12? Or maybe a key word. Right. Exactly. Right. Hidden faults. So we may not feel guilty at all, but we are guilty because what we have um, some hidden sin, some hidden hidden fall. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, you know, we, we ask the Lord to forgive us for certain things. And I think occasionally it would be good to say to the Lord what the psalmist said to the Lord, right? Forgive me for the things I didn't even know about today that, that I've, where I've, I've sinned against you. I've not glorified you in, in the sins of commission but not only sins of commission, but sins of omission. And so the, the idea there, who can discern his errors, equip me. We, we can't discern everything. I think of another verse, really great verse in terms of that, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Somebody can read um, 1 Corinthians 4. Paul's here talking about... Um, you know, the whole, basically the first three chapters have been about the, whole, the some of the strife and, and different things in the Corinth church. I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. You know, there's different factions, there's different competition, things like that. And then um, Paul is saying in verse chapter 4, you know, this is how you should look at us, not follow us in the sense of... Um, uh, be, be esteeming us. What are we? We're just servants of Christ. We're just galley slaves. We're just steward and stewards of the mystery of God. But then uh, three through five. Who would read three through five? Great. Thank you so much. Right. So that's just a beautiful verse there. Where Paul is saying, "What you think about me? You know what he's basically saying." I really could care less what you think about me. Okay, now he didn't put it exactly that way, and that can be used in a negative way, where it doesn't. I don't. Somebody confronts you about an issue, and you're like, "Well, I don't. I, I could care less what you think." Well, that's not what Paul's doing here. What Paul's saying is, "You're esteeming me, but you know what? Um, you shouldn't be esteeming me at all." And, and, and in a sense, he's saying it doesn't now. Listen, I'm not in competition. I'm not upset that some people are following Apollo. Well, he is upset. He's upset anybody that's following anybody but Christ. But he's saying it doesn't really matter what you think about me. So Paul, that fear of man, which we all struggle with, at least at this moment, Paul is saying I'm not struggling with the fear of man. And, and then he says... You know, um, in fact, I do not even examine myself. Now, what is Paul saying? But then he clarifies that, right? He says, now, listen, wait, I, don't, I do examine myself. I, I'm, there's nothing in my life right now. We're going to talk about conscience in a second. But there's nothing in my life right now that I, I know of where I'm sinning or have sin in my heart. But there, but then, for I am conscious of nothing against me, yet I am not by this acquitted. 
And Paul's saying basically the same thing as the psalmist is saying, I'm sure there are things in my life that I don't know about that are only going to be revealed when Christ comes. And, and, and this should humble us, this passage. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes. But then he ends this with the idea of a positive, that Christ is going to come, he's going to judge people, he's going to see the motives of men's hearts, right? Not just what you did, but why you did it. But then he says, then each man's praise will come to him from God. And so Paul's looking forward to that time because he doesn't see anything in his life. But he's not, he doesn't know for sure. And, and so again, those hidden sins. So, so that idea of guilt is not a feeling that guilt is a fact. We're either guilty before God or we're not guilty. And so in that sense... There really is no idea of false guilt, right? There's no idea of false guilt. And we'll get a little bit more into that in, when we look at the conscience. But, but we should take guilt, the feeling of guilt, very seriously, right? We, 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 and, and we should never minimize guilt. First of all, we should never minimize the fact of guilt, right? There's... Why are we guilty? Why is there guilt? Well, there's guilt, and everybody has guilt because of Romans 3.23, everybody has sin, right? We've all sinned, okay? And then secondly, um, we must never minimize the feelings of guilt. So somebody comes to you or as a parent, you know, well, I, I feel guilty about that. Oh, you don't need to feel guilty about that. That's nothing. You know, that's not a good response. We need to, you know, um, understand in a deeper way, well, why do you feel guilty about that? What, what, a, what is the issue going on here? And so we should never minimize that feeling of guilt. We should never just well, I, I think I'm fine, and then move on within ourselves, within other other people, and um, and then uh, thirdly, we should never minimize the um, the effects of of guilt, and we see that in Psalm 32, one through five. So somebody could read that with me. So we're going to be looking today in the morning service at Psalm 51, which David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba, but he also wrote this psalm. And in verses 1 through 5, especially the later verses there, we see some of the effects of, of guilt. So who would be willing to read that? Great, that's a wonderful one. You forgave the guilt of my sin. So here David's saying, right, his, his guilt and, and um, this sin, this unconfessed sin, actually had impacted him physically, had impacted him physically. And obviously guilt and unconfessed sin can impact us spiritually, and, and at that point, I would say with things like depression and things like that. Now, again, it doesn't mean like a sick person or a 
depressed person always has sin or guilt, but that is something that we need to look at, and that's why we take the, the effects of guilt seriously as well. And sometimes um, when, you're, when you're talking with a person, I mean, you need to go um, very in-depth to see what are, what are some things that could be causing the issues that the, the person is having. And again, that all begins with yourself as well as looking at, at um, unconfessed sin and things like that. All right, so that's it. Just, just some brief things about, about guilt. And um, Charity's not going to be happy that I use this example, but we were talking about this in the car yesterday, and, and Charity said, well, so like if I'm shopping at Walmart, all right, and, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at some clothes and some clothes fall, you know, and they fall inside the rack and I can't really get them, and I kind of feel guilty that I'm not picking those up and putting them back on the shelf. So you know, go, you go to Walmart and you see clothes on the floor, you know Charity's been there, all right? So, um, the, uh, so, so I just think that's a, you know, that's a good question because I think that could be something that we say, oh, pfft, don't worry about that, that's why they hire the workers, there's a lot of things we could say about that. But I, what I want to do now is get into that idea of conscience, because I think that's a very important thing, right? So conscience is the warning light that reveals guilt, all right? And so when you're driving home today, assuming you don't have an electric car, and your oil light goes on, all right, don't just ignore that, all right? The uh, either... Um, Whoever works on your car in your family would be very happy if you would not ignore um, the oil light, all right? Maybe as my brother had happened, the filter came off, and he said that, you know, his wife saw something going down the highway, but then um, just kept going, and um, yeah, there's the engine. Um, and so, you know, those warning lights, now we have this van, which you have seen before, probably if you've seen us come and go, which this time we don't have with 346,000 miles on it. Of course, it's a Toyota. And, um, and it has lights all over the place. I put black tape on all these different lights, but not the engine light and not the oil light. I let those, you know, those aren't on and but the ABS light and all these other lights, which I don't even know what they are. Um, so there are certain times where you just can't ignore lights. But the, um, but the conscience is a warning light for us, right? And, and I, what this study has helped me to realize is sometimes I think we can, we can um, Act like the conscience, well, the conscience, it can be misinformed and, and it could be wrong. So, you know, uh, I'm not going to worry about that. And, and, and I think we need to, uh, I, I would just say, I need to take my conscience a lot more serious, right? And, and so there are four types of conscience, all right? Um, and I don't know if that's the best way to say that, um, uh, but there are, there are four types. And so give me, uh, biblically, I would say, what are, some, what are the four types? What's a type of conscience that we can have? And when I say a t- yeah, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not going to try and explain that anymore. I think you know what I'm talking about. But what's, what come, anything come to mind in Scripture? 
uh, word with the conscience that describes the type of conscience we can have. Maybe that's a better way to say that. Clear. What is it? Clear. Okay, a clear conscience. Okay, and I'm going to say that that is what we have is it's a clear conscience. It's a clean conscience informed by biblical standards. And so that's the first one. Okay, you have that clean conscience and it's informed by biblical standards. And, and we see that in a couple passages. Um, one is, is the example of Paul. So somebody read Acts 23.1. Good, thank you. Right, so Paul says, um, I've lived my life with a perfectly, uh, NESB says, perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. All right, just think about that for a second. A perfectly good conscience up to this day. And, and so, again, we just need to say, could I say that? Right? Can I say that? Can I say that I, I never go against my conscience? All right, and then um, Romans, um, Romans 14.23. Romans 14 just has a lot to say about this topic, but let's look at the final verse in the chapter. Uh, who will read Romans 14.23? All right, so this is kind of a sobering verse, all right, because... Um, Going, bringing up Charity's example again there, all right? So, so is there, if you, if you close fall from a coat rack and you don't put them back up, is that a sin, all right? And, and so, and, and like with certain other things, we need to say, well, it depends. And that's what this verse is saying. Because is, is eating meat offered to idols, okay, which we're going to look at in a second, is meeting eat, yeah, meeting eat, eating meat offered to idols, is that a sin? And what do you have to answer for that? Right? It depends. It depends who's eating that meat. And, and then you have to step back and say it depends on the conscience of the person. And, and so what he, Paul is saying here, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And, and, and so we need to make sure, and I'll say this again, that our consciences are biblically informed, that we have a clean conscience, okay? But there are... There are Sorry, this probably isn't the best way to say this, but this is the first time I've done this, so, you know, erase some of the stuff that you hear. But um, this, I should say, as far as a group, but there are murderers with clean consciences. Their conscience is not bothering them whatsoever, but their conscience is not biblically informed, and that would be the key thing. So we have clean, we have clear consciences that are biblically informed. And just think about that. What Paul says, I have lived up to this day with a perfectly clean or clear conscience. Okay, so that's the first one, good. A, a clean, clear, biblically informed conscience. 
All right, what's another conscience that's talked about in Scripture? <coughs> okay. Okay, that wasn't one of mine, so we're going to skip that. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> as soon as you're going to, the old, going to Samuel, I'm like, Samuel, Samuel, what's... <laughs> no, so yes, and, and we could say all consciences can become guilty, and I think that's where, that's, that's an example, right, where David is going through that, and a great example. What was the reference on that? Okay, thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and, and so there is a guilty conscience, and I think any, I, I want to kind of step back one step from whether your conscience at this time is guilty or not, because all people could, ha- could go from, a, from whatever conscience they have to a conscience that feels guilty, and as soon as I say that, everybody's going to be like scared to say anything more, because, right, but what is, what is another conscience in Scripture? Yes, good. Thank you, thank you. Yep, so a seared conscience. And so we, we can look at that in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and we see this more so with um, unbelievers uh, than with uh, believers. But again, I think a believer can have a seared conscience. I know a believer can have a seared conscience. We can do something so often that our consciences are no longer um, affecting. So, First Corinthians, or sorry, sorry, what did I just tell you? Ephesians, good. I turned to Ephesians four, and then let's do um, seventeen uh, through nineteen. Who would read that for me? Ephesians four seventeen through nineteen. Thank you. Good. So there we see, right, they're darkened in their understanding. Um, they are excluded from the life of God, they're, but they, they have become callous. Even in that, right, they become callous. Okay, so, so they, have a, they have that idea that we say a seared conscience, a calloused conscience, right? And then let's... And I'm, I need to make sure I'm going to find this verse. First Timothy four, I think. Um, yeah, First Timothy four, one and two. There it says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later later some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They will expose the fact that they were never truly. Um, Believers, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own consciences as with a branding iron. So 1 Timothy 4, right? And so you can have, secondly, you can have a seared conscience. You can have a conscience. And the example that um, Dr. Street, I'm sure you've heard that name probably before here, um, Dr. Street uses for this is just a, really an unbelievable example, but he talks about, he says, I have a family member, I guess I'm being recorded, so he has a family member, and he also kind of gives that family member away at one point, Um, but he says a family member who's a nurse down, um, I think, in the southeastern United States, and she's 
Um, this, this girl has come to the hospital, a, a girl who's a believer, and she had been in a camp and been intimate with a, a young man there, and, and, um, and she was pregnant. And so she goes to the hospital, just get checked out, and um, everything's fine. But the doctor says, you know, I really see that you're really bothered by this. I, I want you to go and see the psychologist of the hospital. And this is, uh, at least by name, a Christian hospital, he says. And so goes into the psychologist, and the psychologist says, you know what? Uh, ultimately, this is what he said. And, and his sister, John Street's sister, is sitting in the room um, and he says, you know what you need to do to make it so you're not as bothered by this? You need to go out and you need to um, have relationships with as many guys, intimate relationships with as many guys as you can until your conscience isn't bothered anymore. I mean, that's, I, I say that, it's just like, I still can't believe it. If it didn't come from John Street's relative, um, I'd say no. Okay, but would that work? Yeah. It would work. It would work. Now, you know, you know, down the road and all those things, it wouldn't work, but, but that would make it, you can sin so much that you're no longer bothered from that sin. Now, um, gladly the Holy Spirit is in us, and that's a help, but still we can grieve, right, the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and, and so those, that idea of a seared conscience, good. Right, so we have a healthy, a clear, biblically informed conscience. We can have a seared conscience. All right, what's another thing? And this, let's, let me just key in. That goes more to the Romans 14 and this eating, this brother who's, who's eating meat um, or doesn't want to eat meat even though offered to idols, even though that's okay. So what could we call that conscience? And you know what? There's several things we call it. But we would call that, yeah, so you want to? <laughs> That's exactly my words. Exactly. So the, uh, yes, an overactive conscience, all right? Um, and this could kind of tie into the fourth one, but still, this person has um, an overactive conscience and we again let's go back to Romans 14 so Romans 14 is just a really good chapter for those gray issues in life right but one through five who would read that for us Romans 14 one through five good thank you thank you I'm surprised that he who is weak eats vegetables only hasn't become a bumper sticker or something like that as I take it out of context and there. Um, right, so again, and I love that verse 5, we have a neighbor and, and his, his, his kids come to our church and stuff, but he um, doesn't celebrate Christmas, all right, and is very adamant about that. And um, his, his kids do and... And but Christmas time, they don't. They, they get together a lot. They've got like ten kids or eleven kids. They get together a lot, but they don't celebrate Christmas. And and there's different reasons for that. And but I love that verse, right? One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. I shouldn't try to get that guy to celebrate Christmas. 
all right? That's just what he feels like, and that would violate his conscience. And so, you know, we could have a discussion about it. That'd be fine, and I could find out reasons, and I could give other reasons, but my goal in that case would not be to convince him to start celebrating Christmas. Um, and so that would be, but you would say maybe that's an overactive conscience. Now, I wouldn't go up to him and tell him he has an overactive conscience. That's not helpful, right? But, but the idea here is, and going back to Paul's example, that idea of, of meat, right? That you, you can do this. You can, you can eat that meat. We know that an idol is nothing, but if you have a brother, I'm not going to invite that guy over for Christmas Day. I'm going to invite him over on a different day, right? Because we celebrate Christmas, and so just to be there. So that would be a, an overactive conscience, all right? And then, um, um, all right, and then one more. Yes, very good. There is. That's my last one. Right. Or we would say an untrained conscience. And we kind of saw that in Psalms 19, but let's look, let's go over to Leviticus 4, um, 22 through 24. And when, if somebody finds that, you can read that. Leviticus 4, 22 through 24. Who would read that? Yeah, sure. Right, so here this guy, he doesn't know. When a, when a leader sins and, uninten and unintentionally does any of the things which the Lord has, God has commanded not to be done. Um, so this is a conscience that's uninformed. This is a conscience um, that's untrained. And we all have this conscience, right? We all don't know everything in the Bible. That's why it just drives me nuts, people that are trying to get more revelation from God. And it's like, I'm sorry, just if I can just get this handled, I'd be great, you know? I don't need anything more, right? But, um, but that idea of just that conscience, and again, that is why it's so important that we're here, that's why it's so important that we're in the Word, so important that we're reading biblical books, we're listening to Scripture, we're, um, we're, we're listening to books now. I mean, just a wonderful opportunity. But we're, we're continually getting biblical truth because what does that do? That informs our conscience. Our consciences are being informed all the time. All right, they're being informed all the time. It's just what are you informing them with? If you're on social media all the time, unless you just have really, really spiritual friends, you're getting informed by all the things that vacations bring you joy and, and it really shows that you're doing well and whatever else. Um, new cars, I, you know, whatever else there. You know, having... Having so many friends or likes or whatever it is, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of not very good at knowing all of this, but Lydia, what should I be saying here? No, the, uh, so, but, it, but you are being informed. Your conscience is being told that, you know what, this is the good life. This is what I should be doing, right, as opposed to being biblically informed. So we need to realize our consciences are being informed all the time. It just is, what are you informing your conscience with? And, and, and so that's very important. And so, 
One last verse there with the biblical conscience. Again, Paul, similar there, but 1 Timothy 1.5. Somebody can, or you know what, I'll just read that. 1 Timothy 1.5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay, that's the goal. The goal is love, showing love to one another from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And, and so, so, yeah, so that's, that's the idea of, of conscience. So conscience is that, is that warning light that reveals guilt. And I think we need to at least, let me just say I. When I'm saying we, it means something that I've been convicted about, but that we need to take seriously others' people's, when their conscience, okay, and again, we, would, we could just say when they feel guilty, going back to that, right? It's our consciences that give us that feeling of guilt. But again, if we have that feeling, okay, then we need to stop. We need to stop and say, okay, um, is this just, am I not being, is this an overactive conscience? And again, if, if you'd have to go back to Scripture and say, well, where would, it, where would I go to show that this is an overactive conscience? And, and, but we need to take those feelings of guilt seriously because they're coming from a conscience, and if our conscience is biblically informed, then there's probably a good reason for those feelings, if you will, because if we just proceed on, then we are guilty, and those feelings come before maybe we've done something or are about to do something, and so to take that, take that very seriously, all right? Okay, the next kind of thing is repentance, and I'm going to talk about, that's going to be the, the message for today, not from here, but from Psalm 51. Um, and so um, I'm going to just move on from that to the idea of forgiveness. And yeah, you can just hand those out. So this book, um, and I'm sure Ronaldo has maybe shown you that, but this is a really good book that we had to read. Um, and if I have time, there's a little book here called I'm in Conflict. So sorry, this is Pursuing Peace, a Christian Guide to handling our conflicts. And so this was uh, very well done. And you're getting just one page from that, or I guess two pages from that, which was very helpful to me as I was not only studying this, but also as I was dealing with this conflict that I, had, um, that I was involved in or had, had over time. I mean, somebody had... Um, offended me, and um, just trying to keep this as general as I can, but someone had offended me, and, um, and then when, and they were told that it was within a, a, a group, they were told you need to apologize for this, you need to get things right, and so a phone call was made, and, and there were, the idea was, well, um, if I, if I made you upset, I'm sorry, all right? So there's a lot of issues with that apology. What are some key words in that apology? 
Yeah, right. If is a key word. Um, um, and then even the idea of if, and then the idea of made you upset. Well, nobody can make me upset. All right. I either get upset or I don't get upset. All right. If, um, you know, if you give me a million dollars and then somebody comes along and says something nasty to me in like within a five second period, I'm not going to care at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> not that. So you can't make me upset. All right. And then, of course, what's another word in that? That's a key word. Um, the very last word, I'm sorry. You don't say sorry, you say, will you forgive me, right? And we're going to talk, a little, I'm going to be repeating some of this in the message today. So there was, so, and, and you know what? There were other people involved and, and there were, there's a sense where some elders even got involved um, in that because there was one sitting there when this, this thing happened. And and so I didn't deal with it, and there's, there's part of that was I was told, well, this needs to happen or that needs to happen. But, uh, you know, I, I finally went and just, um, uh, we had a wonderful conversation, which we hadn't had catching up. We had been good, for families had been good friends up to this point. Um, and, um, and so this just kind of sat there for a long time. And, and like I said, I determined that once we were in, several years ago, once we're in the same city again, I'm going to deal with this. Um, and so that's what I did. But this was very helpful, this little chart here, in dealing with this. Um, and so I just want to talk about that. So let's just look at, let's first go to Luke 17. Um, verse 3, and I'm going to have to go through this fairly quickly, but I would take this chart home and kind of look at that, and you could probably read the whole next two pages, and he kind of details that um, for you. I mainly wanted to get you the chart, but obviously with a one-page thing, you got the two things. So Luke, um, Luke 17, and uh, you have... Uh, verses 3 there, or verse 3, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. All right? So there's an if, <laughs> another if in, in, this, in this context, but if he repents, forgive him. So what's the, what's the idea there? If he doesn't forget, for, if he doesn't repent, you can't forgive him. Okay, would be would be seen there, and, and and so, but then you go over to Mark, Mark eleven, and this is again why it's so good to compare scripture with scripture. It's so good to think just not. Get all your theology from one verse, okay? Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgression. So this is very different, okay? Who who's um, in verse twenty five? Who's in the room? 
<laughs> if you can, if you, I can say it that way, right? Verse 25, it's just you and God. You're there in prayer, and something comes to mind, okay? Not something, anything against anyone, right? So forgive them. So now we have two things here. We have this idea that, okay, you only can forgive somebody that's repentant, but then we're told that in prayer, and it's so interesting, most of these verses like this have to do with prayer, with worship, okay? You're, you're praying, you're communing with God, you're worshiping God, if I can just um, abstract that out. You're worshiping God, and you realize there's relationship issues, all right? So we take this, and we from this and other passages, we have this idea of this level one Level two, forgiveness. All right? So level one, level two, forgiveness. And, and so what is, and, and, and so level one, you see there, it's called attitudinal forgiveness versus transacted forgiveness or heart forgiveness versus granted forgiveness or dispositional forgiveness versus relational forgiveness. I like that attitudinal forgiveness. And then you've got transacted forgiveness. All right, so, um, and you got a couple of references, and I'll let you look up the, the Luke 23 and the Acts for yourself. But obviously, the attitudinal forgiveness, it's a vertical focus. It's between you and the Lord, which is what we just, what we just said. Whereas that horizontal forgiveness is between me and that offender, that person um, whose relationship is, is an issue. And then, What's the purpose of attitudinal forgiveness is to release bitterness from my heart. I'm no longer bitter. I've worked through this issue, and I'm no longer bitter. And with that example I'm giving, I mean, yeah, I, I had bitterness in my heart. I mean, I'd go jogging or something, and that would just come to mind and, and just start working, right? And I'm sure none of you have been there. <laughs> I wish we could just, you know, it'd be nice just to turn that off. You know, I have, to, I, have to, I have to intentionally think about other things, all right? Um, and, and this bitterness is what, or this bitterness, this forgiveness is uh, independent of the offender's repentance, right? So this part of it, this level one, is independent. I can, I can forgive him in my heart, and, and let's just look there at Romans 12 quickly. Um, Romans 12, um, verse 17, this is how we should treat this person. Never pay, so this is, this is, this is now, so let's just assume that you've taken that second step and that person has not repented. Well, how do we treat that person? Okay, so this is how you treat him. You never pay back evil for evil to anyone. You respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I was finally, um, shame on me, but I was finally doing what I could do, and thankfully that worked out wonderful. And um, it took a little bit of discussing and probably about 45 minutes, but then finally uh, this other person said, Mark, will you forgive me? And I'm like, yeah, 
I, I was waiting for that. My heart was prepared for that. But if I hadn't really thought through these two levels, I don't know if I would have been perfectly prepared for that. All right, and I was able to say yes, uh, yes, you know, tears in my eyes, yes, I forgive you, right? And then we prayed together. And it was a wonderful time together at that point. But, um, but that, had, that first thing had to happen. But, so let me, let me wait on the Romans thing just a second. Um, so, and it's, it's unconditional, independent of the offender's repentance, where it is that transacted acted. Now, he could have never said that. Um, this person could have just said, you know what? Um, no, I'm not going to, um, I don't think that I did anything wrong here. All right? And at that point, I wasn't going to say, well, I forgive you. Well, no, I can't say that, right? There's, there's not been repentance. There's not been acknowledgement. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there wasn't a sin issue here, and I need to uh, for sure examine things before I go to that person. But there, I can't say I forgive you when there hasn't been the acknowledgement of a wrong, right? But if that was a situation, then it goes back to Romans 12 here, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And John Street made a great comment. <laughs> He goes, you know, sometimes there's couples that come in with just major issues, and, you know, it's like, I, I don't love, I don't love him anymore. I can't love him, okay? I can't love him as my husband. And John Street will answer back, well, okay, but can you love him as your enemy? I know that sounds kind of interesting, but that's, okay, yeah, that's not going to happen. Well, okay, we got to come down to this level, okay, because that's where you are in your relationships, but even your enemy, you are told to love, right? And, and again, I, I'm sure there's, as I say this, and, and that's why I'm bringing this example up, I mean, I know this is a hard topic, and I, I don't want to um, make light of anything here, because I know this is hard, but... Um, but I think these are just key ideas. Okay, so then commitment, um, the attitudinal commitment into God in God's presence to release the offender from my judgment and trust him to God, to empty my heart of bitterness, to be ready to grant level two forgiveness and reconcile the relationship if the offender repents. All right, okay. But then... Um, the side, but then once that level two happens, okay, you reconcile my relationship with the offender. And one thing that I just saw in this, the idea is that your relationship comes better. Charity had, when I'm, so I drive home and I pick up Charity and we're going to go meet with somebody and she's in the car and she's so thankful things had gone well and she'd been praying about this for years. And, um, and she goes, so, so did you invite them over to dinner? And I'm like, 
you know, I'm, I'm just kind of exhausted from all of this. And it's like, honey, no, I didn't think about inviting them over for dinner. I'm just happy this is done, <laughs> right? But the idea here is um, your relationship, because often it was like, I just got to get, I just got to go. I got to get this forgiveness. I got to say these words, and then I never want to see this person again, all right? And again, the whole, that's not why Christ died, that's not the way Christ treats us. And so our goal is to, that relationship is the same or even better than before. All right, so I told Charity, okay, we don't, for one thing, we don't have any open slots here in our next three days that we're here. And so next time we're in town, though, we need to do that. And so, so that's the... That's the idea here. And then what are you committing to in that level two after that's done? Commit to the re- re- repentant offender in the offender's presence. I will not raise the forgiven offense to myself, okay, to others or, or to you, all right? Now, I'm talking about it here, but I'm hopefully talking more about my side of it and how I didn't do that. And again, I'm not sitting here brooding over this offense, I'm just so thankful that, that our relationship is renewed. And in the whole scheme of things, this isn't a huge thing. Okay? And, it was, and maybe I made it into a huge thing. Um, but I should have just taken care of it before. All right. Can I just take five more minutes here? All right. Is that okay? There's a little book, and I'll leave this maybe um, somewhere because I have an extra one. But... Um, Ernie Baker, who, who was a pastor in Virginia and then out at the Master's College, and I knew him in both places, but he talks about um, Colossians chapter 3, and I think it starts at verse 12, um, and, and he, he goes through these attitudes, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, to put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whenever, um, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. Okay? So also should you. And, uh, and then he goes through those different, different um, not attributes, but different fruits, if you will, fruits of the Spirit, maybe we can say. But then he goes taking the looks at the opposite. <laughs> and this is just, I just find this good. Um, it's also important for our purpose to think of the opposites of these character traits and how each actually compounds tension in our relationship. Okay, first of all, pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. It means being high-minded. We are all guilty of thinking of ourselves more highly than we should. What does pride do when there is tension in a relationship? What comes to your mind? I think of a person who stubbornly refuses to admit his or her wrong. I think of a person who digs in his heels in, who digs his heels in and won't change his opinion. I think of the person who has to get in the last word or who isn't really concentrating on what the other person is saying, but is just wanting for him to finish so that he can say what he believes is more important. I don't know where he gets this stuff because I've never had trouble with any of this. Okay, this type of attitude escalates conflict. Our humble Savior helps us learn how to die to self and think of others as more important than ourselves. Harshness is the opposite of gentleness. When you talk harshly to others, what typically happens? Either the person withdraws because you aren't, sa- aren't a safe person to talk to, 
or they might have the opposite reaction and become louder since they want to be sure you understand that they will not let you push them around. A particular concern I have here is for men. It seems that many men are harsh and their wives with their wives or children. God gave men a deeper, more booming voice, and it's easier to use it in the wrong way. Being Mr. Tough Guy isn't the way the Lord desires for men to treat their wives or children. One reason Christ died on the cross is to free us from living for ourselves, 2 Corinthians 5.15. That certainly includes um, learning to be gentle, to model strength under control. Impatience is a problem for many. When a person is impatient, he or she will not be a good listener. When a person is impatient, he or she won't have time to really hear the other person out. This would be a good place to start thinking at an even deeper level. Why are you impatient? Why do you speak harshly? Why do you think your opinion is so important? For the Lord to really change us from the inside out, we can't believe the lie of the world that isn't that it's just our genetics or our personality. If these are lies, we must turn away from what is the truth needed to replace them in our mind. We'll answer that question below. I'm going to stop there. There's intolerance, hard-heartedness, unkindness, um, and so on. So I'll just leave this somewhere, and um, if you want to pick it up there. Um, just one last thing, and that just goes to, again, why do we have sometimes so much difficulty changing, and it's just that whole idea of replacement. We put off, and then we put on. And, and um, the, the, um, uh, the comment that John Street made, um, permanent change in the Christian life is always two-factored, and he says without these two factors, no real change will occur. So we put off, we put on, the actual renewing your mind part, that's a passive, that's something God does as we are in the scriptures submitting to the Holy Spirit, right? So, all right, let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful, Lord, for your word, just the fullness of your word, so many issues that we struggle with and so many things that, that we have problems with, and, and the issue is we just don't go to your word. We don't let the Holy Spirit renew our minds through your word because we're not in your word. And so help us to love your word. Help us to love Christ and, and want to be like Christ, Lord, in our actions and our attitudes and our relationships. And um, Lord, just pray that you'd continue to do that work in me and do that work in each, each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.